Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And if that's all we knew about John's ministry, we think, well, wow, who could even come and be baptized? In Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, listen to what it says about John's ministry. It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by John there in the Jordan. John the Baptist was not seeker-sensitive when he ministered to the multitudes. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin, and he wasn't afraid to use words like hell and repentance. Today, Pastor David will be explaining that it's vitally important for us to love unbelievers to the point of telling them the truth of the gospel. We aren't doing anybody any favors by preaching a watered-down version of the gospel and sugarcoating the destructive nature of sin. A transformed life is the only proof of salvation. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Prepare the Way. Caiaphas was appointed by Rome to be the high priest. The favor of the Jews, of the society, was still on Annas. And though Caiaphas was the reigning high priest, he was actually pretty much the puppet high priest of his father-in-law, Annas. Now, aren't you glad that father-in-laws aren't like that, that they don't try to control your lives? But anyway, that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. So here it is. It's the year 28, 29 AD. All of the players are in place. And it's interesting to note, here we have all of these reigning powers, all of these reigning powers for man in that region and of that culture and of that time, political, religious, and yes, even social. And surrounded by all of that power and in the midst of all of that influence and push, we read that it was the word of God that came to John, the son of Zacharias, there in the wilderness. As is the case with Jesus, we don't know a whole lot about John's early childhood. When the angel declared to Zacharias, his father, that he would be a Nazarite from birth, We kind of understand what that is according to what the Word of God tells us. Now, again, he had to be a very individual to say the least. Matthew and Mark give us a little bit of description about him. Matthew and Mark both tell us that John himself was clothed in in camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. One of the other things we know about the vow of the Nazarite that we find back in Numbers 6 is that Nazarites, once they've taken that vow, they don't cut their hair. 
a razor should not come on your head. So either the hair on their head or even their facial hair. So you've got to picture this guy, if you would. He's living out in the wilderness, okay? Fortunately, he's not your next door neighbor because he's a wild looking guy. By this time, we understand from Luke's gospel in just a few passages, Jesus is 30. John, who is his cousin, is only about six months older than Jesus. So he's about 30, 31. How long does your hair get in 31 years? How many times does it have to be knotted up and wrapped around to be able to do anything? How about his beard just coming out and just going everywhere. And he's dressed in camel's fur and and this big leather belt that holds everything together. And he's got this breath that reminds you of locusts, okay? So this is the guy. He's not a political figure, has no power within society at all. He's not a religious figure as far as the official religion is concerned. But it's not the move of man, it's not the move of politics, it's not the move of power, it's not the move of ritual that comes on his life. It's the word of God that came to his life. And that's what moved John. John wasn't moved by politics, he wasn't moved by religious rituals, he wasn't moved by any other social sway of his day. John was a man that was moved by and desired to hear the word of God in his life. And as the spirit of God moved, so John moved. As the word of God spoke, so John spoke. And as God spoke to John, John was obedient to that voice and to the spirit moving upon him. And so Luke tells us that John John was out in the wilderness when he heard this, when he received that call of God. And once receiving that call, the word tells us that he went into all of the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now we're going to get into the baptism for remission of sins in a little bit. But for now, I want you to see that John's life and John's ministry was a fulfillment of of the prophecy of Isaiah. He was the forerunner of the Christ, of the Messiah. And as he was obedient to the Lord's direction in his life, he became that voice of one crying out in the wilderness. The prophecy he was fulfilling, the declarations he was making, we first hear about those during the time of Isaiah. During that time, God had warned his people over and over through the voice of Isaiah the prophet. He warned them of their continued sin and of the consequences of those sins. Because they continued in rebellion against God, they were now subject to the discipline of God through the Babylonian captivity. God had warned them time and time and time again, and yet they refused to listen. And so God sent Isaiah to proclaim his judgment against them. And yet, even in the midst of the judgment that Isaiah brought, there comes this marvelous hope. The whole of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, and I want you to turn there if you would. The whole of this prophecy is a prophecy actually of comfort, of hope, and of redemption after a time of discipline and correction. Look there in Isaiah chapter 40. In the midst of all of this that the Lord is speaking through Isaiah to the people, God also speaks these words through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and 
cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse six, the voice said, cry out. Then he said, what shall I cry out? Cry out this, that, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And I might pause here and say that, again, we look at this, and we could place in here is that politics wither and fade. Place, position, and power withers and fades, but the word of God remains forever. He says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good news, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And then we get these comforting words in verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. What was one of the titles of Jesus? The good shepherd, the great shepherd. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Here in the midst of all the condemnation about Israel because of the abundance of their sin and the abundance of their rebellion, God comes and speaks to them comfort. Here we see the glory of God demonstrated through the greatness of his compassion toward these rebellious people. He could have easily wiped out Israel and started again, started all over again with a whole other nation, a whole new population, just as he did in Noah's day. But God did something different here. He had called a people, this small nation of Israel, and he says, my hand is upon you. I'm going to bless you, not because of your greatness, Israel, not because of your power, not because of your influence, but that my glory might be shown through you. Beloved, if God uses anyone, he uses them today, not because of their greatness, not because of their influence, or even their talents. He uses them to glorify himself when he finds willing vessels. We usually think of the ministry of John the Baptist as being pretty harsh, to the point kind of a ministry. And it was, but the point that he was trying to bring out in every way was that God was coming to reveal himself to his people in a way that they had never experienced before. It was John's voice that said, make ready, prepare the way. 
God's glory is going to be revealed. All flesh is going to see it. We can trust it because God has already declared it. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And John was the forerunner of the coming of Messiah. And as direct as John's message was, it was still a message of hope to the people. The sad thing is, is not all flesh will take advantage of the salvation of God. They'll see it, but they will not take advantage of it. And we see this here. John didn't go for easy believism. John didn't want to simply be counting baptisms to be able to report back to the home office how many we baptized last year. He wasn't going to play the games of of religion on the outside while people were dying on the inside. John knew that there were many people who were really and truly and honestly seeking forgiveness for their sin. They knew that they were wrong and they wanted to turn to God and commit themselves to God. They were the ones who needed to know that God would still accept them even after all that they had already done. And although in Luke, when we look at the next few verses in Luke, it would seem like there's this major harshness in John, even to the multitudes of the people. Look at what, back in Luke chapter three, look at what verse seven says. Then he, John, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And if that's all we knew about John's ministry, we think, well, wow, who could even come and be baptized? In Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse seven, listen to what it says about John's ministry. It says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized baptized by John there in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Many were coming to him with this repentant heart and this great hope that God would be merciful to them. But yet here in Luke, and also we see it in Matthew, there were also the Pharisees, the religious ones, the ones who had power, the ones who had esteem, the ones who had social standing, that looked and saw what John was doing to simply be something that along with their society that they would come and do. And John knew that their heart wasn't in the right place. These are the ones that John zeroed in on when he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. John saw right through their facade. He understood the falseness of these religious leaders. He wasn't going to play their games. He wasn't going to buy in to just simply their words. Rather than give even any kind of a false hope, he called them out for who they were and for what they were. It saddens my heart today during these political seasons where different politicians rise up and they think that they can speak wooing words to the evangelicals and to the religious right and say, well, if I just say the right words at the right time, then they'll vote for me. I can get into position. Then I can do whatever I want to do. It's a sad thing. And the problem is, is too many times we buy right into it. Why? Because we listen to the words of man rather than to the spirit of God. That's why it's important for us to pray when we get ready to vote. John wasn't ashamed. 
nor was he afraid to declare the coming destruction on those, again, who were not repentant, on those who would come with this facade, with this falseness before him. When we look back in verse 3, that John went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism for repentance, for the remission of sins. That's what I want us to take time real quickly to look at as we end up this morning. What is this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins? I believe according to John's response to the Pharisees, it's very clear that John fully understood that the baptism that he was administering was simply an outward picture of what had already changed on the inside of an individual. John clearly recognized that baptism doesn't save anyone, neither then nor does it now. Otherwise, he would have made it available to the Pharisees. Here comes this group of Pharisees. Hey, we want to be baptized. Great, let's get you in the water. Let's wash you clean. Let's baptize you and change your life. But John knew, no, that's that's not what baptism was about. He knew that the heart had to change long before they entered the baptismal waters. In that phrase, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin, repentance is the true focal point of that phrase. And the Greek word used here for repentance means a change of mind, a change of mind. Then and now, baptism was a sign of repentance. It's through repentance that we're able to receive the forgiveness of our sin. John knew that the heart of these Pharisees were far from repentant. And the place and the order of baptism is always following an individual's conversion experience. Once they realize that they have a need for the Savior, a willingness then to commit their lives to Jesus Christ, then the Word of God says they ought to be baptized. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 28 as he's getting ready to ascend into the heavens. He tells his disciples this. He says, "'Go therefore, make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you in order. Go and make disciples. They come to faith first, then they're baptized, and then they begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All through the book of Acts, we see the same process. Men and women, they hear the gospel message, they repent, they receive Christ as their Savior, and then in obedience to his word, they get baptized. In Acts chapter 8, you don't need to turn there, but you can mark it down, look at it a little bit later. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you remember the story, the Ethiopian eunuch is driving along in his chariot, heading back to Ethiopia after being in Jerusalem. And as he's riding along, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah. Philip then, the Spirit of God, delivers Philip in that area. Philip sees the chariot running along, and so Philip starts running alongside this chariot. He says, hey, what you reading there? Do you know what it means? Do you, do you understand? The guy says, well, how can I understand what it means unless somebody explains it to me? And so Philip runs along and says, hey, I could probably explain that to you. So they stop the chariot. Philip gets on, and beginning there in Isaiah, he begins sharing with him the gospel truth. And that Ethiopian eunuch, after hearing the gospel laid out by Philip, he asked this question, what hinders me 
from being baptized. What would keep me from being baptized right now, Philip? The answer that Philip gave, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him there. After a profession of faith, not in order to get saved, but because he had already given his life to Christ. Baptism is an act of obedience and a demonstration of a changed mind. Again, public commitment to follow Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that he made payment for your sinfulness, if you've put complete trust of your life, of your eternity, your faith in him for all of eternity, have you been obedient to the Lord by following him in believer's baptism? That's a question that I want to throw out to you as a congregation because the thing that amazes me is the number of people who come into a church, any church, anywhere at any time, and simply slide in. They slide in and become part of the church experience. And perhaps as part of the church experience, they've never ever really truly said, you know what, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's just something that they they become religious on the outside. They get into the the mode of meetings. They they get into the vocabulary of Christian ease and they know exactly what to say and how to say it. They might even be called on to pray and maybe they're willing even to pray in public. But have they ever come to a point in time in their life that they said, Lord, I am a sinner and I am in great need of a savior. After receiving Christ as your Savior, did you, in obedience to the Lord's command and in obedience to what the church has practiced for 2,000 years, have you followed the Lord in believers' baptism? And if you haven't, why haven't you? Why haven't you been obedient to what we know the Word of God says and declares? I'm going to throw this out to you this morning. I'm going to leave you with this to ponder on. Number one, have you made that commitment of your life to Jesus Christ fully and completely? You know that Christ is your Savior and you're just not, and, and you're not just involved in religious works and church-isms, but you know that you've given your heart and life to Christ. He made a difference in your life. Some of you today might be able to say, yes, it was November 16th, 1963, that I prayed to receive Christ and I was in the back room of, you might know the day and the very hour. Some of you may not know the day and the hour and I can understand that, but you should know within your heart and life that yes, there was a time in my life that I realized that I was a sinner in need of salvation, and I cried out to God for forgiveness of my sin. There needs to be that time in your life because that is that point of time that begins the new birth in your life. For some, it becomes a season of time. God had been working in my life for a while, and I finally realized, you know what? I need to receive Christ, but it has to happen. And if it has happened in your life, then the next question is, Have you followed him in believer's baptism? And if you haven't, 
Why haven't you been obedient to what you know God would have you to do? Is it out of embarrassment? Is it out of fear of water? Is it out of the lie of the enemy that says, well, you don't need to be baptized to be saved, so why should I be baptized? But you do need to be baptized to be obedient to what God has said. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.